Hello, and welcome to Living Stones, a podcast of conversations with the people of Red Mountain Community Church, highlighting the victories and struggles, the snapshots and stories of the people sitting right next to you on Sunday morning. And if not now, we hope soon, as we would love to have our church family all together again on Sundays as soon as wisdom and circumstances allow. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions and your fellow seat warmer at Red Mountain Community Church. My co-host today is once again... Preston Hancock, our executive pastor, <laughs> and uh, also an elder. Do you get double pay for that? How does that work? Oh, yeah, totally. I, it's uh, split into two checks that I receive, or they keep telling me I'll receive. I'm just still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's we're gonna... in heaven. It's a heavenly account. Yeah, That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I was struggling to come up with some dumb, goofy thing, because I always try to do some dumb, goofy thing with the co-host, you know, every every episode. I couldn't think of anything. I just had, like, dorky stuff on my brain. So I was like, oh, let's do dorky stuff with Preston. Because uh, you can dork out with me a little bit. But, uh, totally. So we're going to do Name That Movie. I'm going to give you some quotes from some, some geek, uh, okay, here we go. geek movies. These are specifically superhero movies, okay? Okay. And um, we have yeah, and I think, by the way, I think I never followed up on this, but like months ago on the podcast, I sang a song, and it was Name That Tune with everybody that was in the room recording with us, and nobody could get it. And I think I said I would say, like, on the next episode of the podcast, I never did. That song was from the Castlevania NES video game, so that's that's what I was singing. So if that's really been bothering you, that's just been like a, a thorn <laughs> in your flesh, just eating away at you uh, to mix metaphors, then uh, you can put that to rest now. Castlevania on the NES. Okay, so... Uh, you got to name the movie, and you get bonus points if you can name the character who says the quote, okay? Okay. All right, so this first one, this is a softball, Preston. This okay. is a softball, okay? I'm, so are we going DC or Marvel with this? I, I, you know, I'm not going to get that specific. You, okay. okay. All right, you it's can do this. Me. You can do this. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. First one, why so serious? Okay, that's the Joker and the Dark Knight. Very good, very good. Like I said, that's yeah, a softball. Softball. Totally. All right. Yep. Here we go. All right. All right. This one's a little bit of a deeper cut. There's one thing I do know, son, and that is you are here for a reason. Uh, that would be uh, Jonathan Kent and Man of Steel. Yes. Whoa, no. Man of Steel. No. Superman the movie. The original one. Oh, yes. I figured yes. it had to be just across the platform. So I, I went more modern. Oh, yes. it was Jonathan Kent. It was Jonathan Kent. I was going to give you two bonus quotes that were also like, uh, you know, like the other quote. I don't know if you would have gotten it from this, but what color underwear am I wearing? <laughs> That's, yeah, uh, that that would be, um, uh, it's Margot. Margot Kidder. the name of the actress? Who, who yeah, Margot Kidder was the, oh, come on. Superman, Lois Lane. Yes. Wow, you remembered yes. Margot Kidder, but almost not Lois Lane. Wow. I know. What's uh, I have a problem, apparently. Well, I got an issue like that on my own podcast. I like Once I start recording, I can't remember actors' names. It's this weird <laughs> condition that I have. Okay. Um, all right, here's another one. There's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. That would be Captain America in the first Avengers movie. Yes. Good job. Good job. Yeah, thank you. Okay, and now for the home stretch. You can see what I do with my free time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm up on all this. All right, here we go. Who can save Princess Juliet, held captive by the evil Count Lorca? Who can save the city? Who? Wow. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> it was just like, here you go, here you go, here you go. Wham. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you're going to have to respeak that one for me. <laughs> you're liking the fact you got uh, me. I can tell. All right. No, no, I'm not that, not that I got you. This is just a ridiculous quote. All right. Who can save Princess Juliet, held captive by the evil Count Lorca? Who can save the city? Who? And then he goes on to say, this looks like a job for... Superman. I mean, it's got to be Superman, but I, I, I have no idea what movie that's from. Condor Man. Did you oh, see Condor Man? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was that's just that's just to make it clear that that compared to me, you are a lightweight, Mr. Hancock. (laughs) (laughs) I concede. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Of course, that's uh, now I'm showing a little bit of my flesh, a little bit of my identity issues, which we're going to get into. We'll we'll hear a little bit about later on in the podcast. There you go. It all works together. Look at that. That's right. That's right. I have no, I have no, whatever kind of weird transition. uh, So we're just going to head right into the poll segment. Uh, okay. you, you can follow Red Mountain Community Church. Uh, and I, I can only come up with so many different ways to make that transition, folks. And so if you want to start submitting them for me to choose from, then you are welcome to do that. If you know an email to send it to, to get it to me. Uh, paterboy at gmail.com, P-A-E-T-E-R-B-O-Y at gmail.com. And you can send me, sure, some some dumb suggestion. No, I'm sure it'll be a brilliant suggestion that I will certainly, <laughs> most certainly use <laughs> All right, the poll segment. Follow Red Mountain Community Church on Instagram at Facebook and Facebook, excuse me, to participate with a vote. And if you leave a comment, you may just hear it right on the podcast. Uh, the poll this month, true or false, sprinkles are pointless. Um, 23 people, that's 35% of the vote, voted true, that sprinkles are pointless. And 43, 65% voted that false. It is not true that sprinkles are pointless. So most People agreed that sprinkles are not pointless. Julie Radney said, sprinkles are good for your soul, and so are the foods they come on. And uh, Jennifer Reinhold said, sprinkles are happiness. Now, I, now, philosophically, I could pick apart both of those statements. I don't think <laughs> yeah. sprinkles are synonymous with happiness. I think that we have an issue there. Uh, sprinkles are good for your soul, and so are the foods they come on. I'm going to have to just consider changing my whole diet and just skipping Bible study and prayer from now on, because the sprinkles going down sounds a lot easier. What do you think, Preston? I'm thinking that would be a more ready solution, but I'm sitting there going, can you really taste a sprinkle? Yeah, what I'm do tra- they taste like? I've got, I've got nothing against sprinkles, Yeah, okay. can you really taste them? They're just kind of they're little clumps of sugar, right? Yes, it's a texture thing. It's got to be. Yeah. But hey, I can't agree with you. If that's the source of happiness, then, you know, load it up. (laughs) I think my boys would probably say that they are definitely not pointless. They would possibly agree that they are indeed uh, synonymous with happiness. Uh, Perhaps (laughs) that they are also good for your soul. I think my boys would maybe agree. They like sprinkles on their vanilla cone, but I'm just like, that's too busy. What what are you talking about? I mean, it's it just blends right in and adds crunchiness to soft serve ice cream. And who wants that? Yeah. Well, the Dutch. A little bit of interesting tidbit. The Dutch will sometimes for breakfast put bread, butter, and chocolate sprinkles. That's like a oh, breakfast. Okay. And I, so I should say that you I, you know, I do like peanuts with my ice cream. So like so I, I shouldn't I shouldn't, you know, scoff at Sh- the crunchiness. Shouldn't judge. Shouldn't no, mock. No, no, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. All right. Okay. Once again, no clever transition. Let's see. We got talking about ice cream and sprinkles and we had a conversation in which we were 
sprinkled with knowledge on a <laughs> different topic that I'm not used to talking. Earlier today, Preston and I spent some time talking with Daniel and Corrine Esplin about their ministry with the Indian Bible College and the unique aspects that come with uh, doing that kind of ministry. It was really cool, really informative. Here's that conversation for you right now. Well, Daniel and Kareem, thank you guys so much for taking time out and to to chat and tell us kind of about what you guys are up to. Before we get into that, um, could you give me kind of like a, a brief rundown on how, how each of you uh, came to faith in Jesus? I, either one of you can start, it doesn't matter. Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, so I came to faith in Jesus through a neighbor. Um, we I lived in Maine for a few years, and we had a neighbor that was a pastor, and his wife would come over and visit me often. And my rule for her was not to share any of her Jesus stuff with me, because um, coming from a Native background, I knew, was brought up to believe that Jesus was a white man's God, Mm. And that was not for our Native people. So I made that very clear to her. But she was very persistent and faithful um, as a neighbor and a friend. And she would often ask if she could pray for me. At the time, I was married to an alcoholic and was going through a lot of um, kind of abuse behind the scenes. And eventually, I broke down and shared that with her. So it was through her prayers that I really heard how Jesus was very real and I wanted to know more about him. So I started asking a lot of questions, which eventually led me to surrender my life to Jesus. Hmm. Wow. That's amazing. The, the love of a friend and neighbor. Yeah, she was amazing. She was so patient with me because I was not kind to her at all <laughs> huh. when it came to the the faith side of, of our friendship. And Daniel? So I grew up um, around um, church and Christianity. My um, grandmother, in fact, uh, was one of the founders of our home church, um, and uh, so I grew up, you know, not too far away from a church. And uh, so I would frequently attend with my mom and um, relatives. And uh, I knew the gospel growing up. Um, but I also had the influence from my uh, mom's side of the family as well. Uh, the uh, native religion, kind of the cultural religion um, growing up as well. But uh I went to church, going to youth group growing up, and um, attended, you know, services off and on. And uh, but it wasn't until I was in high school when I really drifted away from, you know, a lot of the things that I had heard about about God and and um, you know His love for me. And uh, but I really hit rock bottom when I was uh, a senior in high school. Um, God stripped me of all my kind of my strongholds, uh, my, my security, um, kind of my security blanket with relationships and, and friends and, you know, just all those things that I found my identity in. And, um, so my high school year, my senior year really hit rock bottom and just wanted to take my life and 
And it was interesting that that week I was, you know, just really feeling down and out. Um, I had a relative who was the youth pastor at my home church. He's uh, my cousin, but he, I bumped in, bumped into him at a at a um, at a grocery store, and you know, just the simple words of "Hey, we've been thinking about you, we've been praying for you," really began those small steps back to, um, you know, listening to God. But it was that summer when I traveled with them. They went to California, and I thought, hey, this will be a fun trip to California. But there was about 30 of us who went, and we attended uh, kind of a week-long um, event out there with an, an, a partnering church. And uh, middle of the week, they shared the gospel. And, you know, I just I knew God was tugging at my heart. Hmm. And all the things I remember growing up, and I just knew God was calling me. And that was the summer of 2001. When I uh, said, Lord, I want to surrender. I want to live for you. I want to give my whole life to you. Mm -hmm. And so now, uh, fast forward from both of your stories, and you guys are really involved in Indian Bible College, which I had heard someone at our church mention. I, I'd heard that I knew this thing existed, but I knew almost nothing about it. Um, and first off, you know, I have like, Really, no connection to the uh, to the demographic that you guys work with uh, is. It, what's the more like uh, appropriate term? Is it, would it be Indian or you guys have been saying Native or I've heard Native American or what is what is the preferred if there is a preferred uh, term to describe that that uh, uh, ethnic and cultural background? Yeah, I think that uh, we're the politically incorrect Bible college. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Indian seems offensive um, to some to some tribes um, because it's been used in a very derogatory way. Mm. Uh, but for whatever reason, Daniel will share more of the history of Indian Bible College. Um, that's what we're called. And we had talked about, you know, should we do a name change? Maybe at one time that was acceptable. Mm. Nowadays, I think most Native people reference themselves as Native American, American Indian, mm -hmm. um, Native, Indigenous is a popular one. Okay. Uh, Canadian, Ca Canada, tri Canadian tribes, they refer to themselves as First Nations. So okay. What did, uh, Corrine, uh, now we're not looking at each other. We're not able to see each other. We're doing this remotely. But you said in your story that you uh, come from a Native background. So, I mean, what was the what was the term that you and your family preferred? Um, well, I grew up on a small reservation in New York State. Okay. Uh, the Seneca Reservation, which is part of the Iroquois Confederacy, which is comprised of six tribes. So we, I guess, preferred to be referenced as Seneca. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I don't really remember it being a big deal. I feel like a lot of people in New York called us Indians. Mm. Like mm. they would say, oh, yeah, the, those Indians or, um, yeah, so I... I don't know if that was our preference, but that's what we were referred to as. I think, gotcha. I, think yeah. I think generally speaking, um, the Southwest prefers um, native. If you get up into like the Midwest, like the Dakotas, North uh, uh, Minnesota, you know, they prefer uh, more of like uh, uh, 
like indigenous or, or maybe some of them Indian as well. Okay. Um, can, uh, Canada, again, they, they prefer First Nations. And so regionally, it depends. I mean, some folks don't like certain terms. Some of them don't even like Native American because it has the word American in there. Sure. So okay. honestly, it's kind of, um, I usually tell folks, just don't call me late for dinner. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it is. A, but it is a great um, discussion for identity. When, mm. when we talk about Indian Bible College, yeah, you know, I mean, yes, we are called Native American, Indian, you know, Navajo or Diné, whatever. But it really lends a great a discussion for identity. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. So now tell me, uh, if you can, like a, a brief history of Indian Bible College and then um, maybe tack onto that how you guys became involved. Yeah. So uh you probably not don't know the uh, the name uh, Gordon Fraser, but Gordon Fraser um, was related to a famous uh, missionary named Jim Elliot, who was murdered in South America. Mm-hmm. But um, out of Elliot's uh, out of Elliot's death, um, uh, Gordon Fraser had a kind of a passion and a desire to work with indigenous Native Americans here in the states. Um, so back in 1958. He started a Bible study with four Navajo men around his kitchen table. And after that, out of that Bible study, um, he just had a passion to say, we, we need to start a, a training center to train Native folks to, you know, to learn, to be equipped and go back to their their uh, their community. So Indian Bible College started in 1958. You know, um, it was a small training center and and it's grown from there. And then, so then at this point, like how, uh, what's the size like right now? So currently um, our campus uh, maxes out about 35 students. uh, It's always been a small, small school. Historically, they've ranged anywhere from eight to 10 students per year. And, uh, but I would say in the last 10 years, we've, we've been really, um, you know, filling every every dorm, every bed, every seat, and uh, it's been great to see God, you know, bless us in that way. Hmm. And now and your students come from all over the United States, right? And and Canada, right? And Alaska. Oh, yeah, Alaska. We've had U.S., Canada, Alaska, Alaska natives. We have also had a Quechua from Peru who graduated with a bachelor's degree. And we also had a student from England who had a passion to serve in ministry with uh, Native people. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, so you have, you know, most of the students are Native peoples, but there are some non-Natives who train with you to become missionaries to Native peoples. Is that yes, right? or Indigenous communities. We did have one, one Anglo girl who did the certificate program, her and her husband were going to be serving over in Turkey. So she okay. came to IBC knowing that our focus is on indigenous peoples. Hmm. Gotcha. Cool. So then how did you guys become connected and, and involved with Indian Bible College? So I got saved in 2001 and didn't really know what I wanted to do. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't continue on um, at the local university, um, so I 
you know, uh, my cousin who led me to the Lord, he, he attended Indian Bible college and he said, why, why not try a year of Bible college? And, um, I told, I told the Lord, I said, I don't want to become a missionary. And uh, I said, Lord, I'm just going to go one year. One year turned into four years. I graduated in uh, 05 with a bachelor's. And, you know, I just felt God um, calling me to to pursue full-time ministry. So the one thing I didn't want to be was a missionary. Um, God really changed my heart on that. Hmm. And uh, so a year later, uh, the school called me back in 06 and said, hey, we're looking for a recruiter, somebody to work in admissions. And uh, so I came on staff in 2006. And uh, so I've been working, uh, being a part of the staff since then. And uh, I love it. I love going out and connecting with folks to Indian Bible College. And Corrine, did you like, uh, is your story similar? or How did you become involved? Oh, it's not similar at all. (laughs) No. um, So I mentioned earlier that I got saved out of pain um, when my first husband walked out on me. Mm. He left me emotionally broken. And I had been through a lot of abuse. I have a history of abuse in my childhood into adulthood and teen pregnancy, just a lot of a lot of addictions that were very unhealthy in my life. And when he left, I was just completely broken. And I just remembered all of the stuff that that neighbor had shared with me. And so I contacted her and gave my life to Christ, but I knew nothing about the Bible. And God just worked like a freight train in my life. Um, I started giving up a lot of my addictions to, to relationships, to alcohol, and that summer that I got saved in 2008, God, I was on my way to a job interview and God said, I want you to go into ministry. There's a Native American uh, ministry called On Eagle's Wings. They travel to reservations across the United States and Canada for one month in the summer, the month of July. That summer, they were going to the Northwest territories, Montana, Idaho, so on. Okay. And the Lord said, I want you to travel with this ministry team. Now on the reservation to become a Christian is, is, is much like a Muslim coming to Christ. Mm. You can be ostracized okay. from your family, from your tribe, from your community, because it's really looked down upon. It's almost like you're betraying the tribe because they mm. really do see Christianity as a white man's religion. Hmm. Okay. So I be, I call it coming out of the closet. I had to come out of the closet to my family that I was a Christian mm. and I was scared to death because I didn't know how they'd receive it. I and I just thought, you know what? I know what Jesus has done in my life. He's completely transformed me. I can't deny that. And wow. if I end up standing alone, so be it. I'm willing to take that risk. So I came out, told my family that summer, as if it wasn't bad enough, I became a Christian. God called me into ministry, oh. and I was like, come on. I don't want to be the Jesus freak on my res. <laughs> but well, uh, Corrine, before you go on, how did your family react? Um, they were very disappointed, and mm. I, I remember it was at a Sunday dinner, and I said, oh, I have an announcement to make. 
And it got very quiet when I I said, you know, I'm a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus and I just don't want to hide it anymore. And I remember it got very quiet. And my dad, who is a faith keeper in our longhouse tradition, in our ceremonies, which is equivalent to an, a Navajo medicine man, mm. he basically said, well, we're disappointed because that's not what we brought you up to believe but we're going to respect your decision as long as you're not shoving it down our throat. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and then they, they all made fun of me. They started, they were calling me Bible thumper and all of these <laughs> names. Mm-hmm. And, right. um, but I thought, okay, if that's all I have to take, you know, <laughs> I can handle that. You can do that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that July, um, I ended up traveling with On Eagle's Wings to the Northwest, and I had my story to share, and my story is powerful. I'm, I'm not really sharing a, a lot of that good stuff, but my story is powerful, but anybody could have argued me out of the Bible. I knew nothing about the Bible. And so at the end of that mission, that ministry trip, the Lord said, I want you to go to Bible college. He made it super clear to me. And they, the ministry leaders really promote Bible college because a lot of Native people coming into Christianity, there are not churches on a lot of reservations. There are, and if there are, they're, they're not always healthy churches. Hmm. And the spiritual warfare that a Native person goes through is very is very real so a lot of people will fall back into the native religion or they'll fall back into their addictions so they share and encourage the team the team members there's about 60 natives that travel native youth that travel with them they encourage them to go on to bible college and when they shared that man i knew right away the lord said i want you to go to bible college specifically indian bible college in flagstaff arizona and i said excuse me lord Hmm. uh remember the whole jesus freak thing like i was in bars i was in bars two months ago like acting like a crazy lady and now you want me to go to bible college and i've never been to flagstaff arizona i was a single mom and i said you do realize that's in arizona so I looked up every other Bible college in the country trying to figure out someplace closer to New York. And nope, it just kept coming back to Indian Bible College. So I applied. I had two weeks to apply, applied, packed up my car and started driving to Flagstaff with my twins who were mm. 10 at the time. And uh, I just knew that's where the Lord wanted me. I hadn't been accepted yet. And, but I left anyways and just figured, hey, if I don't get accepted, we'll do two weeks and we'll go see the Grand Canyon and come back to New York. Mm. Um, But I was in St. Louis and somebody named Daniel Esplin was the admissions counselor. (laughs) (laughs) He called me and he called me in St. Louis and said, Hey, I just wanted to let you know the good news. You're accepted. And I said, well, that's great because we're already on our way. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I said, I couldn't wait for you to put your coffee and donuts down to get moving. So, (laughs) um, yeah, so I got accepted. They had a two bedroom house available for me when I, when I pulled into Flagstaff and Mm. 
when I got to the Bible college, I pulled up and I just bawled my eyes out. And I said, Lord, I can't believe you brought me here. But I thought it was ugly. That's why I was crying. (laughs) But yeah. So now fast forward to now, what are uh, each of your roles or involvement in uh, Indian Bible college? and, And what does that look like day to day? Yeah, so for me, primarily, um, I was brought on staff as the admissions counselor. So primarily, I travel and recruit for the for the college. And um, I'm the first, uh, you know, hired, you know, recruiter for the school. Hmm. So um, I love, like I said, I love traveling around to various uh, tribes and just sharing um, about Indian Bible College. Um, for one, the main thing is, you know, that God, I, I believe God has called Native folks uh, to be the hands and feet of, of Jesus to their family, to their communities, and to the world. And I, and I think, you know, the platform that God has given Native Americans, we tell our students that, you know, that Native folks can be some of the most effective, powerful missionaries since the, since the, since the disciples. And when I first heard that statement, I was like, and that's crazy. I don't believe that. But, um, you know, Native folks have opened doors all over the world for the gospel. Um, and uh, so I, you know, love traveling, sharing, you know, God's story about Indian Bible College and, you know, just meeting students at that place of, of you know, taking that step of faith to, uh, to devote their life to ministry, to the study of God's word. Um, so primarily I do that. Um, Secondarily, I I lead one class on, it's called the Native Masculinity Collaborative. It's a class on biblical manhood. And, um, you know, historically, our Native men were warriors. They were the providers of their families and communities. But over the generations, our Native men have, you know, just been emasculated. Um, Hmm. Our Native men are absent from their families, from their communities. And so this class is really looking to Jesus as the model for masculinity. And that's one of the, one of the passions that I, that I have. So I lead that class. Uh, thirdly, I lead music in chapel and um, I also lead a mentoring group with uh, first year guys each, each, uh, each year. And I also do some development, helping churches um, really put native, native uh, missions on, on their radar Mm. and connect with the school, not just financially, but work teams to chapel speakers to, you know, helping uh, churches in the Southwest really understand the need among Native America. Mm. Uh, So my role at at Indian Bible College, I transitioned as a student uh, to the registrar at the time the school was um, going moving from a paper filing system to an online software system. And I had a lot of experience in data, like doing data entry. And I have a background in graphic design. So attention to detail was really, um, really easy for me. Uh, so I joined the staff as the registrar with the agreement that it would only be temporary because my passion is to disciple um, other Native Native girls to really see their full potential and hope, living out their hope in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because of my background, because of what I've been through, um, that is my passion. Um, a lot of Native people, when they come to Christ, they have an identity crisis. 
because they're confused. Their their family or their tribe may be rejecting them and, and they're being told that they're no longer native. Mm. So it's extremely important to understand um, the intimacy of Christ um, and how that leads to our identity in Christ and then how we live that out um, day to day. So I do a lot of, I eventually transitioned to the Dean of Women so that's my role um, currently. I'm no longer the registrar. I've been the Dean of Women, uh, I believe, since 2013. Okay. So for eight years now. And I do a lot of kind of, I would call it crisis, some crisis counseling. A lot of students come in, 95% or higher of our students come into the school with some form of abuse. Mm. Sexual abuse is probably the most prevalent. And because of that, you know, there's a lot of hopelessness on the reservation, um, economic hopelessness, but there's a lot of spiritual Mm. hopelessness as well. And so I help students kind of get grounded. I oversee um, student body leaders. Um, I also oversee our spiritual formation um, process. So I'm, I'm essentially the director of spiritual formation, uh, making kind of figuring out who the mentors, mentors are going to be the small groups. Um, we also take students through mending the soul. Okay. So that's a big part of our, our, um, our process. And so students can address that abuse that they've been through and experience freedom from that. Um, I don't lead and facilitate all of the groups, but I definitely oversee those things. And um, we are actually in the process right now working alongside of Stephen Celesta Tracy to um, write a Mending the Soul for Indigenous People, for Native and Indigenous People. So we're kind of revamping the... um, the Mending the Soul specifically. They have an Africa workbook, so this will be their native workbook. Um, I'm on the, the committee, the panel for that, for the writing, and I'm also personally doing the design work for it as well. Hmm. So basically, you don't do much during the day, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I wanted to make that clear that oh, oh my every goodness. day I'm looking for something to do. So. Yeah, I was going to say. That's fantastic. Oh, day to day. I'm also I'm also in grad school, so I'm I'm grad school classes. (laughs) Wow! At Phoenix Seminary, right? Yes, at Phoenix Seminary for counseling. Wow! So I'm curious. I want to go back a little bit to what you guys said about um, Christianity being perceived um, by those in the Native community as a white man's religion. Um, I wonder if you could expand on that a little bit more and, and talk about the general perception of Christianity. Maybe, maybe talk a little bit about what their impressions are of the belief content. If they, if they have any awareness of belief content and, or any, anything else you would want to share that you think is significant about how Christianity is, is perceived by the native community. Well, Christianity is perceived as a very, again, a very negative thing. There are over 500 tribes in the United States alone, and I would say the majority of those tribes are non-Christian, have not been uh, evangelized uh, over the history of, of the United States. And that really leads to where that perception of Christianity comes from. Hmm. Historically, 
you know, when Native tribes were colonized and put on, placed on reservations, a lot of the atrocities that took place were done in the name of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so they see that as a direct correlation to who this white man's God really is, that this white man's God hates Native people mm-hmm. because they were, right. they, their wow. goal, the goal of the United States was to, um, was to kill the Indian. And if you want to look into the U.S. Constitution, it's actually built into that. Mm. Um, there's verbiage in there that that states as much. And so a lot of that colonization, boarding schools, the atrocities that happened in boarding schools, mm-hmm. um, the, the Christianity, they were stripped of their language, their religion, their, their physical appearance even was altered so that they would look... Um, more like the um, minority or the majority population, sorry, the majority population. So um, that perception has never changed over the years because it was such an ugly thing. Children were ripped out of their, their communities, their families. And if you know Native people, Native people are very relational. They're very communal. And so it was tragic. There were tra- so many tragedies that happened um, across the U.S. And so that's still fresh. A lot of, you know, um, Daniel's parents were boarding school parents. Um, so it's not many, many generations ago. It's uh, eight, maybe a generation ago that, mm. that these things were taking place and still you know, to this day, treaties are broken all the time by the U.S. government. So there's definitely a a bitterness, if not a hate, towards, quote, the white man um, among Native people. So when a Native person comes to Christ, again, it's like you've betrayed the culture in a sense and in Mm. fact there are tribes in the united states of america that will ostracize you for becoming a christian they will escort you off of the land and you no longer have rights as a native person because you became a christian so again it's much like the much like a muslim coming to christ um Mm -hmm. But it's not on every tribe. I know the Navajo Nation, where Daniel is from, um, they are very, very, they are very, probably the most evangelized tribe in the country. Um, And they allow missionaries on the reservation, whereas a lot of other reservations don't, a lot of other tribes do not allow that. So it depends where you're, it depends on where you're from. Oklahoma has a high number of, of Christians. Um, they're very open to Christianity, but again, it, it goes by region. So given just kind of like, even though it's different from, uh, from place to place, uh, given kind of like the commonality the, 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 of, of the, um, the perception, um, what would you say is kind of like priority number one is as you guys are looking at missions to various native communities, you know, if, if there's, a, if there's a, kind of a common starting place of, okay, we have to address this. This is the the hurdle we have to overcome first or chiefly in order to be able to present the gospel. What, what would you say that chief challenge is and, and how do you go about uh, uh, approaching that? Yeah, I think the, 
I think the uh, you know first priority would be helping Native Native Americans understand that Jesus was not a white man. Mm, yeah, um, there are still folks. You know, we talk to this is this is two thousand you know two thousand twenty um, folks that still say I didn't know Jesus was was a was not a white man. Mm. There's still folks yeah. who say you know um, I didn't know Jesus came from a tribe, a tribe called Judah. Mm. Right. And yeah, and I think just that idea of Jesus was a white man, you know, needs to be, um, you know, that that is far from the truth. That that needs to be explained, and Native folks need to understand that Jesus was not a white man. And yeah. because there's that loss of it, there's that fear of losing my identity. You know, mm. um, some some Native folks they they believe if you become a Christian, that you become a white man, um, you lose your identity. You lose your status. And um, so, again, that's far from the truth and helping Native folks that Jesus, you know, Jesus came from a, from a minority group of people. Um, you know, Jesus is, uh, his people came from a group that were persecuted as well. They were living yeah. under the Roman, kind of the Roman uh, Empire and mm-hmm. understanding that, you know, Jesus probably had darker skin like native folks and you know, oh. you didn't have blue, uh, blue eyes and blonde hair. Yeah. I yeah. think that native, uh, you know, what Indian Bible college is doing is, you know, we're, we're never going to be a, a hundred plus student campus because of the rate that native people are coming to Christ is very small. And so I think the the fact that we focus on a small group and our focus is to disciple and educate, disciple comes first because we have to get past those stereotypes. We have to get past the hurt and the abuse that a student has been through so that we're raising up healthy Native leaders to go back to their communities and to have that that security in their identity to be able to go back because they're going to stand alone in, mm. in a lot of cases. So we we want to raise up healthy Native leaders to go back to their community and into the world if the Lord calls them into that. Um, we do have some alumni that are Native and they're serving um, outside of their, their tribal community. Um, we actually have an alum here at Alaska Christian College. Um, she is serving here with the Alaska Natives. We have another alum who's serving over in the Ukraine, and uh, he's Navajo. So the idea is that, you know, to stay to stay on a smaller scale so that we can raise up healthy Native leaders to go back into their communities and into the world to fulfill the Great Commission, basically. Hmm. Hmm. Is That's there... Amazing. Is you know I'm curious you know you, you talked about uh, things being different among uh, uh, different uh, tribes and different native communities. Is there like a a common or common-ish uh, predominant religion or, or worldview among the various native communities? And and if so, does it? I mean, is it is it something that's just kind of nominally accepted, or or are people in those communities generally? Uh, genuine adherence to those beliefs and uh, what kind, what's that situation like? Yeah. So uh, out of the 574 tribes, a lot of, you know, the tribes 
uh, believe in a in a uh, creator. They believe, you know, that there is a creator who created all that we see, all all created things, and you know, you don't have to persuade a native person that there is a creator. So there's already that um, kind of that common belief there. Um, there's also a a common a common belief in the in the creation stories. Uh, many of the mm-hmm. many of the tribes have creation stories, and um, but one of the things that really goes deeper that that there's a commonality in all of these creation stories is there is a there is a flood that happens in all of these creation stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, speaking for the for the Navajos, we we have a flood you know story within our our creation story as well. Um, a lot of tribes also, you know, have a fear of death. Um, there's death is not really it's 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 a it's a taboo. Um, nothing that's um, like again for the Navajos, we don't talk about death. We don't plan ahead for death. Huh. Um, yeah, it's a really kind of a, a taboo subject to talk about. Um, I think also, um, you know, just the, the idea of. Um, of uh of of another world like a kind of uh there's a spiritual a world as well there's the, there's a belief in a um a spirit world that all you know uh, all people will go one day after after they pass mm-hmm. so uh i would say generally speaking those are some things that most tribes hold to um um among among native america mm-hmm. so are do you find yourself uh, using those kinds of, because uh, some of those things, certainly there's a commonality with Christianity. Do you find yourself using those as kind of like bridging points in conversations? Um, and then by contrast, I mean, what would be some areas that there's significant difference in uh, in the belief among natives compared to Christian teaching? Oh, definitely. I think the idea of a creator, you know, is is very key. In fact, that's kind of where the differences uh, stop with with Christianity, because the the created being among Native Americans is not is not not knowable. It's not intimate, mm. not personal, um, and it's more of just a, kind of a deity that is far off. And you know, you you need the medicine man kind of as the almost like the mediator to communicate yeah, okay. with with you know with the deities, and so but. Yeah, the, the 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 exciting thing about bridging that gap is, you know, what the creator has a name. The creator is knowable. Um, mm. The creator wants to know you. He knows you beyond, you know, beyond beyond um, anything else. Yeah, the native religion across across the board is very animistic, very um, uh, worship the creation. Mm. And I think that's common among every tribe, Anim- whether it's animals or living things like, like the trees. Um, I think, you know, so there's a lot of commonalities in, in Native religion from, you know, all across the U.S. And I would say the hub of Native religion, the central, the centrality of that is, is rooted in the Sioux tribe in uh the dakotas and what they do is they have a 
a very uh, specific ceremony that a lot of tr other tribes will come to participate, will we'll participate in that Sundance. And so it's, it is interesting, though, because a lot of ceremonial things that are done among Native people are very similar to a lot of stuff that was happening in the Old Testament. Hmm. Like what? Can you give us an example? Um, I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I know that I've I've seen a lot of, you know, reading through the Old Testament, like, well, that's crazy because some of that stuff we do in, in with native with native religion, native traditions. Mm. Well, I think the concept of being ceremonially unclean is uh, okay. and that's something that's uh, prevalent among a lot of tribes. You know, if you leave the land, you know, you're, you're considered unclean in a way, and you need to be, okay. you need to be uh, cleansed when you come back to, when you come back to the land by, by a medicine man. Hmm. So there are a lot of concepts like that. Yeah. The key for me, the key to, to all of this and, and what we share is Jesus, because you can go and you can say, Oh, the creator, you know, created all of this stuff. And we just want you to know that, you know, we, we believe in the creator um, and that he created all of these things, you know, but the key in it, you know, is we all know the key to Christianity is Jesus. You have to talk about Jesus. You have to say Jesus uh -huh. because that's where the, you know, the big discrepancy is. And once you say Jesus, literally on my reservation, parents will cover their kids' ears and tell them this is not for you to hear. Uh -huh. So you have to talk about, you know, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You have to, you have to talk about Jesus. Yeah. Now the, the enemy will. It's it's so crazy. We talked about a lot about spiritual warfare. You know, the native people are very very spiritual. Everything is spiritual to them. There's a meaning behind everything. And so we have a hypersensitivity to spiritual things. And, um, you know, we talk about it um, even among Christians, um, among Christian natives, because it's such a big part of our culture. And so spiritual warfare is a very real thing. Like I know you know, kind of a, a demon in every bush kind of mentality, mm. um, you know, like the whole, this whole podcast thing, you know, oh my gosh, Satan doesn't want this to happen. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. For those who don't know, we, we, we had some technical hurdles, like several dozen, I don't know, <laughs> that we had to uh, I think that's figure, figure out to get, to get it going this time. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I'm curious. You know, you mentioned the, those those kind of uh, cultural realities. That uh, makes me wonder about um, just what Christian worship looks like among natives. You know, when you go to uh, or read about or see in some way worship happening among Christians in different parts of the world, it, it there, there's some significant differences in the trappings of what it looks like. Sometimes in the focus of what's going on. So. Tell me, if you can, a little bit about uh, maybe uh, what um, a Native Christian worship service would look like, how they gather, and, uh, and what, what, what that involves. Yeah. 
again, generally speaking, um, most uh, native churches would um, would look very similar to a American kind of a American style church. Okay. Um, you know, with pews and a piano, um, maybe some guitars and singing from a hymnal book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. It's not as. Uh, how, do, how should I say? It's not as. Um, it's not unique like you like you would say churches in Africa or mm-hmm. in third world countries. Um, I say that because when when the first missionaries came to to native peoples, a lot of um, a lot of how they communicated Christianity was you you need to cut your hair. Mm. You need to um, speak English. You need to sing this way. Mm. And so when the missionaries eventually left, the Christian people, uh, the native folks continue to carry on because we're very, we're, we're very tra- traditional uh, uh, people and they carried on that tradition. Okay. So there's really very few churches that um, worship you know, singing their own, their own hymns or their own songs. It's kind of a catch 22 too, as well, because when a native person does become a Christian, it, it can be extremely offensive to a, a traditional, to the religion, native religion to incorporate any of their sacred instruments or objects into to bring those into the church can be extremely offensive. Mm. Mm. And it's, it's heartbreaking because I often sit and ponder what would native Christianity look like if Jesus himself had come and evangelized to the tribes, you know, Mm. what things would have been kept, what things would have been, you know, acceptable because Jesus didn't come to people telling them, Hey, start looking like me so that you can be like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not how right. Jesus evangelized. And sometimes my heart hurts because we really do face an identity crisis as a native person because, mm-hmm. you know, our, our traditional ways, we can't look like that anymore because that's what our people tell us. But yet we don't want to look like like this, like the 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 Western world, because we're not the Western world. So where where do we do? Where do we stand? And so the easiest thing to do, the least offensive thing to do, is to just look like the rest of the American church because mm. that's what we were taught. Mm. Mm. And is it like the rest of the American churches you would see today, or yeah. like the 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 American church that you would have seen? In the 1920s, say, oh, no, no, is no. it is it more old school, like what you traditionally see on the on the reservation now? Well, I, well, I guess it would be a mix. I think there's a mix of you know a lot of a lot of the churches on the reservation that you go to. There's a lot of old people in there because mm-hmm. those old people were taught, um, you know, they're Sunday churchgoers and. Right. They really didn't really didn't have the capacity to evangelize to the rest of their tribe because for different reasons. And so a lot of those people have passed on, the churches close up, and right. 
um, I think now you're seeing a wave of younger believers being raised up and they are more creative thinkers. Okay. They know what it's like to, you know, even the, the, the elder population, they want you to come into church all prettied up. You know, you have to dress right. Oh, look at mm. these kids coming in here um, with their black hoodies on. So instead of meeting them where they're at. They want them to come in already cleaned up. And, and again, it goes back to God's word that God didn't call us to come to him already cleaned up. He told us to come to him just the way we are. So like just that, that old Hmm. mentality has to be broken. And we're seeing that a lot. There's definitely a lot of younger, um, the younger generation who are incorporating some trying to figure out what, what does a true native believer look like um, outside of what the dominant society looks like? How, you know, Uh how are we unique in our worship? How are we unique in, in our church? Um, Because we are very communal people. Yeah. Probably more like old Testament church gatherings, I would think. Right. It would be really neat to see that kind of thing develop where the, uh, the, the false belief content could be set aside, but the, the richness in the aesthetics of right. dress, of music, of dance yes. um, could be applied to, uh, to worship of Yahweh and the relationship with Jesus and to see that play out. In a, in a communal worship environment. I mean, like, just like th- my imagination just kind of spins thinking yeah. about how cool it would be to see that kind of thing happen. So it's, it's really neat to hear about the kind of work you guys are doing in an area that just frankly does not cross my mind. I'm just, it just like have a, coming into this conversation, I had uh, li- almost literally no awareness of this kind of ministry. Um, but coming out of it, this has been great. How can we at Red Mountain Community Church be praying for the Native communities that you guys work with and just for your ministry in general? Yeah, I think uh, praying for Native uh, Native America to to cease to be the mission field. I think that's a big, big task, a big, big prayer request. But um, our vision, our vision at India Bible College is that Native America would cease to be the mission field. Mm. And after 200 years of missions, there's still less than 5% of, of uh, Native folks that are uh, followers of Jesus. And our, our goal, our vision, our prayer is that Native America, the the native church would rise up to be a mighty missions force that native churches would become um, trained and equipped and learning how to disciple, learning how to send out, you know, their own missionaries. And um, I think part of that is, you know, working with the students that we have. Um, We have, we have 30 students on campus and just being faithful to those students and walking, walking alongside them, not just in their, um, you know, not just when they do well, but even in their worst moments here at Indian Bible college and, um, praying through that. And, um, as staff members, um, it gets exhausting. It's discouraging at times. Um, sometimes we, we often ask ourselves, you know, God, you know, 
this is a big monumental task, but we're thankful for prayer partners like you guys there at Red Mountain uh, to, to come alongside us and, you know, just pray for that, that we be able to send out missionaries, send out trained native men and women who know, know God's word and um, to be able to take that to their communities and beyond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the students that, that you guys um, are growing, they, uh, they're coming from some pretty traumatic backgrounds. And so one of the things that I so appreciate about what you do is uh, as you approach discipleship holistically and you speak to them and help them grow through that trauma in Jesus, and then, and then you know, so it's not just an intellectual growth, it's, it's a whole life uh, discipleship, and that's hard. And so, yeah, I think that would be great to continue to pray for you guys in that. That's a, it's a hard but great work you you do. Yeah, I I love the the phrase that I, I believe it was the the president of IBC mentioned that you know we want to focus on the potential, not the plight, because it's easy to get caught up in the plight. It's easy to get caught up in you know the darkness of of what has happened and what is continuing to happen. Suicide rates among native people are the highest in the country over any other uh, ethnic or minority group. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a pandemic when suicide takes place. And it's interesting that COVID has really, um, you know, the anxiety, the, the depression, the suicides that have, that it has brought out in the the major population of the United States. But those are things that Native people have been dealing with for centuries. And, um, you know, there's a lot of darkness on the reservation, spiritual darkness. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't exaggerating when I talked about the spiritual warfare. Often we see students that apply. It's one thing, it's a big thing when a Native person comes to Christ. It's an even bigger. It, it's a. It's an even bigger um, daunting thing when a native person takes that next step to grow and to become grounded in the word and to come to Bible college. We see students that apply, prospective students, and Satan just takes them out in one way or another. Mm. Um, mm. We we actually had a student that that had applied to the school. And he had been trying for years to come, and he finally got accepted. Came to this, uh, came to his time to fly out here from a small community, First Nations community up in Canada. And he struggled in his past with alcohol, which a lot of natives do. He got on the plane, or before he even got on the plane. He stayed with a ministry couple and went to get some sugar for coffee, something simple like that. Mm-hmm. And there was some alcohol in the, the cabinet and he just fell apart, drank mm-hmm. all the way to Phoenix, got into Phoenix. We didn't hear from him for days. In fact, his family reported him missing. We didn't know where he was. We didn't know what happened. Come to find out he had been drinking and ended up in uh, a hospital or something oh, with no, with nothing on him. So I don't know if he got in a fight and they stole his wallet, that he had no, no ID, nothing. And he sadly, uh, his tribe came and got him 
took him, he went back to Canada and he's been drinking ever since. So that's, that's only one, that's one of many stories. So I'm not exaggerating when I say I, Daniel mentioned earlier that, you know, the potential that native people have, because we've traveled uh, to other countries, to Europe, and people are fascinated, this country not so much, but people in other countries are fascinated with American Indians. And the conversation always leads to religion. And it's an open door for native people to share the gospel because people automatically assume, one, we hate Christianity, two, that we're not Christian. And so it's we've had so many opportunities just because of our cultural background to share the gospel openly in countries, closed countries, uh, people who you know, hate Christian in other countries who hate Christianity, we've had that open door. So I really think that it's, you know, not an exaggeration to say that uh, Native American, Native Americans have some of the greatest potential for the gospel since the disciples because of that fascination. Well, thank you guys so much for taking time out and sharing what I, I imagine there's there's a degree of heaviness. I mean, it's, it sounds like for both of you, this is very personal work that you're doing. And so I appreciate you just investing in, in the, the, the heaviness of, of the topic and and also your passion. I hear your, your passion and, and your excitement over the potential of your ministry. So thanks for just uh, giving us the opportunity to, to become more aware of what's going on, what God is doing um, through Indian Bible College and, and you guys. And, and we will look forward to hearing more updates of, of what God is doing in the future. But, but thank you both so much for, for talking with us. Thank you for letting us share as well. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right. We're good. All right. That was, that was great. Yeah. You guys feel good about that? Yeah, we do. I good. Think so this, this is my first uh, podcast ever, so I think it's I think it's okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was an amazing job. Well, I guess more uh, importantly, do you guys think it was good? No, yeah, it was great. Yeah. yeah, it was great. It was great. Yep. Apart from the technical difficulties, which yeah. you know, I think I'm with you in the spiritual warfare end, but yeah, uh, yeah no, I think it was fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I it's hard not to get. Um, Emotional. It's hard not to get emotional because, I mean, I think Peter said it, you know, very well that we are passionate about it because, you know, in some ways we're standing alone. And so we want yeah. more people on our side. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, you know, people are dying every day. And, um, you know, I have I have a family of unbelievers. Um a community of unbelievers and they really want nothing to do with, with Jesus. And so it's, you know, it's an identity crisis every time I go back to New York to visit them and Mm. um, just feeling that isolation in a sense, because they can't, you know, respond to what I believe. They do ask a lot of questions, even though, you know, my dad said not to be shoving it down his throat. The Lord has given me, so many creative ways to share mm. with them. Oh, that's mm. cool. That's cool. But, well, I, I didn't share this on the on the podcast, but um, yeah, we we had one of our applicants uh, found dead in a hotel in Flagstaff. Our last. Mm. 
And um, it wasn't COVID related. They said it was probably like natural causes, but it's just odd. Yeah. That when somebody wants to come to IBC, I mean, they don't all die, but again, they face, they face just these obstacles and yeah, it's just something that, you know, Satan doesn't want to see. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's great work you guys are doing. Yeah. It's hard, but um, yeah. but you really see the power of the gospel at work. Yeah. And so thank thank you guys for your faithfulness and your willingness just to be open. And yeah. this is who I am and where I'm at and what Jesus yep. is doing. That's yep. just amazing. Yeah. Well, super appreciative of your guys' support and, yeah. um, you know, even inviting us. This, this is a big thing. You guys might not think it is, but... We've traveled to a lot of missions conferences and it's hurtful because we go to these conferences and all of these cultures are represented represented at these conferences. And there's zero, zero to one mention, pretty much zero percent mention of, of our own backyard. It's like, uh, uh, like I said, other countries are so fascinated by American Indians, not so much this country though. It's yeah. like, we're just a forgotten uh, people and uh, nobody really cares or wants to care. And uh, it's, it hurts as a native uh, person. Like, wow, this like America really does hate native people. <laughs> well, I just, well, there's probably honestly some degree of shame there. Mm-hmm. I bet. Could be. Where yeah. We, we don't want to look and face and, and own our history. Yeah, it could. I would imagine. So this is we're we're really appreciative yeah. of this time. Well, yeah, again, just thank you guys to out of the five hundred and seventy four tribes. Who 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 is gonna who is gonna reach those five seventy four tribes in the U.S. Not not the French people, <laughs> not the Australians, not the British. No. It has to be us. You know, the American church and Native folks coming together, and that's why I really love what we're doing together. Yeah. Well, we're blessed. We're blessed by you guys and and the chance to get to know you. I can't remember the name of the guy that I met. I think Dave, was that it? Uh, sent me an email, the guy before you, Daniel, who was doing church relations. Oh, Doug. 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 That's right. I remember getting an email from him going, can we meet at Starbucks sometime? And then I was just fascinated. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, so yeah. I didn't know that's how you found out about the school. Before. Yeah, I just got a random email from Doug, and so we met up, and I was—I didn't even know Indian Bible College was there, and so yeah. I was just fascinated. And, yeah, and the Lord's just blessed from there. So thank you guys, appreciate you. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Well, I say this all the time when we record these uh, about the conversation. That was a really great conversation. Uh, they're all—I yeah. mean—they're all so unique. Every episode—that's kind of—that's the neat thing to be in the chair that I'm sitting in. Is that uh, month in, month out? It's uh, there's a lot of variance in the kinds of conversations that we have, the kinds of topics that come up, and and I didn't see this one coming out of anywhere. It was—it was, it was a wonderful thing to be blindsided by this whole realm of the native community. And so there was a, a lot of interesting stuff that came out of that conversation. Uh, Preston, what would be one, or it sounds like maybe you, you were saying you had two things uh, that, that really yeah. stood out to you. What, what, what would you say jumped out from the conversation? I think for me, um, the, uh, like I said in the episode, the weight of, of the work that they're doing is, is so significant. And I so appreciate it because they really do take, I mean, if you think from a, 
Garden of Eden, original state of, of man where there's this physical creation we're inter- interacting with in humanity and the spiritual, and it's all happening at the same time and all being engaged with. That's really what they're doing with their discipleship. So they're they're taking a look and and they're combating all these false beliefs and false doctrines. And there is intense spiritual warfare with that. Mm. Uh, and then the trauma that they deal with. Mm. So it's not purely counseling. And and it's not uh, purely spiritual warfare prayer. It's this holistic uh, biblical knowledge, deep counseling, uh, spiritual warfare, this holistic approach to discipleship, which is just so, so hard mm-hmm. uh, and yet so, so good. And and uh, the, the work that they do is just that impactful. So for me, I'm I'm left with that, and so appreciative of of their approach, and that the Spirit's blessing them in that. The other thing is what uh, Daniel said there about being a mission force. I so appreciate Indian Bible College's approach to that. So, yes, they want to see Native peoples in the United States uh, evangelized, but across the world, they want to see Native uh, followers of Jesus just impacting the world, and to mm-hmm. have that big of a vision. Yeah. Well, you know, it's very great commission. It's very, it's just, it's, it's great to see that kind of holistic view. So I, I'm just impressed by that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that, that stood out to me is actually different than the thing I thought I was originally going to say. Uh, but, uh, but how the, the, the word identity kept coming up and, yeah. and I, and that really just seems to be a core issue. Like, globally right now and mm. i remember i remember reading a, or at least in in like um uh countries that that have you know like internet infrastructure you know yeah i remember reading a book years ago that uh, that talked about how culture was going to change because of the internet and the internet age that we were heading into and one of the main things was going to be people having a sense of losing their identity as the world becomes smaller and is all at our fingertips with the Internet, that there would be this, this thing that would start happening where people would start clinging wherever they could to some kind of cultural heritage, cultural identity, because that would start slipping away as it all starts bleeding together because of the Internet. And, and yeah, and so it's interesting to see how that has become such like identity, whether it's uh, identity being being clung to in ethnicity or in you know your your sexual gravitations or uh, in your cultural background or whatever you know all these all these things that that people are are looking for their sense of self worth and identity in all the these the wrong things instead of in the love that God has for each uh, and every one of us and so it's it's interesting just wow. to see how how that is a a really major issue. In uh, in this cross section of humanity as well, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. And there's a, yeah, there's was, a uh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I was struck by that too. Yeah, there's a lot that could be mined from that conversation. I feel like oh, I, I frequently say, you know, at some point in these interviews that like we could have the same people back on to talk about some other facets. <laughs> You know, like yeah. I, I know there's more to Corrine's story that I want to know more about, you know, and, uh, well, and even like what you just said right there, Peter, the whole thing of identity. You're totally right. We could spend a whole episode just oh, sure. processing. What does that look like for them? Yeah. Especially given history yeah. to accept Jesus and find their identity in Jesus. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow, cool. Well, um, that is going to be it, though, for this episode of Living Stones. You can follow Red Mountain Community Church on Instagram and Facebook, where you can also participate in our poll question. And also be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on the next episode. In the meantime, I'm Peter Franson. And I am Preston Hancock. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Sunday. <laughs>